today I got to chat with the amazing Rochelle King Andrews, who not only is a fantastic Grand Prix dressage rider based in Australia, she is also a wife and a mother and somehow just juggles it all with so much grace. She has so much wisdom to impart to all of us today. I cannot wait for you to listen. She is such an inspiration. She is amazing. I love that saying that you know, if you shine a light on someone, then they shine a light on someone else, and and that's the change that I want to see in the world. So if I can, if I can make somebody feel better and good about their riding, and help them to understand their horse, and for their horse to understand them, that is my entire passion in life. I want to make the world a better place for horses, and I want to make it a better place for the people who love them. Welcome to the Approachable Equestrian Podcast, a place where we dive deep into all things mindset, motivation, and stories that inspire. I am your host, Rihanna Burke, fellow equestrian, rider, and competitor, and I am determined to shine a light on all things inclusive in the equestrian community. With that said, let's jump in to today's episode. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for inviting me. I was very excited to be invited. No, I have looked up to you for so long now and you've achieved so much and done so many cool things. So tell us all about you. How did you get into horses? What what sparked the passion? <laughs> we used to live in the city and there was an empty, a few housing blocks that were empty and somebody had put a horse in there. And so when we'd, we'd walk home from school, I would save my lunch for him and sit up on the fence and he probably choked on the cheese sandwich later or the <laughs> peanut butter. But <laughs> anyway, eventually he was very happy to see me and stand still and I'd ride him around and bareback in my school uniform. and With no permission? Just, no permission. And, <laughs> and I was one of six kids, so our parents never knew where all of us were anyway. It must have been latent within me because I just saw him and I loved him and I had to be near him. And I eventually convinced my parents to buy me a horse when I was seven. I think I was about seven by then. And that, that, that I was about five when I was riding somebody else's horse around with school uniform in my dress. And so my Did the owner horse, of this horse know? I don't know. I, I don't even, because <laughs> it was a, quite a big housing. It ended up quite a big housing estate. So, I mean, I don't even know. And they, they must have checked him. But he always looked forward to my sandwich anyway. Yeah. <laughs> amazing I love that I used to think I was rebellious feeding a carrot to a horse down the road okay cool you top mine definitely all right (laughs) uh yeah so then our first horse was he'd come seventh in the Melbourne Cup and one of my dad's friends gave him to us so he was very fast and we went everywhere very fast and then we got uh, a Welsh cob pony stallion who, again, went everywhere very fast. And then my parents thought it's time to get serious, so they, they bought me a, a two-year-old Arabian colt who wasn't broken in. So I spent the, my first lot of riding years going everywhere very fast. <laughs> it sounds like you had no fear. Well, I didn't know enough to be afraid. So I just needed to be near them and, you know, I often rode them without a bridle or a saddle because we still lived in town and when we'd come out to the farm on the weekends, I was too little sometimes to remember to pack things. So sometimes I'd just climb on them and, again, I think that contributed to them going very fast because they would have no bridle on. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I do think fear is something is is often a learn. I mean, some people have inherent fear, but fear is often 
is learned out of respect and you know stacking it enough times but (laughs) (laughs) you hope you learn a few things here and there and think oh might not do that next time (laughs) yeah Yeah, there's definitely a lot of those awakenings but um yeah I really I, I just loved horses had to have them and I used to have a little backpack and I'd have a, a couple of writing books in there. Remember the book by Alice Pajoski is Dancing White Horses and he wrote a couple of uh, good textbooks as well and I'd pull them out and check out, okay, get to get the horse on the bit, you do this and this. And so then I'd, you know, saw away my horse's mouth for a while and think that's not working, pull the book back out again. And I, I was <laughs> conscious of feeling very confused that what's often in, in books and what, you know, you, you see on now what you see on YouTube and that sort of stuff just doesn't apply to a lot of a lot of horses and a lot of riders. So uh, I think that's what's created me as a coach and a rider that I actually want to say to people, every horse is individual, every person's individual and my approach is very individual because I did spend a lot of time poring over those textbooks and thinking, well, I've got a lot of inside leg on but there's still nothing happening here. <laughs> Yeah, that's so true. It's so hard to just fumble your way through. So did you start getting coaching or lessons? How did you, where did you go from there when you're kind of feeling lost? Well, this is really funny. At first I would go to my grandmother who wasn't horsey and she would do prayers for me to try and get the horse to behave himself. And uh, yeah, that didn't work either. (laughs) Funnily enough. Uh, then uh, we went to Clemens Dirks who had his big indoor like equestrian centre and he had a school horse there and I had some lessons from Clemens and once they forgot to do the girth up and at the end of my lesson he came down to take the money and the girth was, you know, big gap between the horse <laughs> and me. And he said to everyone, look at this, Look, you know, you're all idiots basically, but he said, but this girl, she can sit so still, she puts you all to shame. I beamed. It was the best moment of my life that Clemens thought that I was to this day. (laughs) (laughs) I was so proud. And then we bought the farm out at Ebenezer and there was another equestrian centre set up, Willow Park, with a beautiful old English lady, Diana Gould. Some some people might remember her. She's been gone for a long time. But uh, she was very, very kind to me. She would I would meet her there at 6 o'clock a.m. before we had to go back to school in town. And we'd float my horse over there and she would give me lessons and she she was amazing and she was very, very good to me and wouldn't accept any money. So I w- worked for her on the weekends and helped her out in the garden and that sort of thing. So, yeah, we eventually managed to get more help than the textbook. Yeah. So when did the fire for dressage start? Were you always said to yourself, I'm going to be a dressage rider or when did that sort of come about? Oh, wow. What a good question. Uh, no, I wasn't always that way inclined. Uh, in the beginning, I, I just wanted to ride horses. Uh, and my brother and I just loved horses. We collected horses. We, we studied horses together. You know, we just lived and breathed them. And I think, you know, I, I have a type A personality. I'm very single-minded and and I'm and very passionate and very direct about things. And I guess there came a point where I was like, I don't understand why my horse won't do this a certain way, which leads you to explore dressage, doesn't it really? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I did love eventing. I had a very, very good stallion, but he was just very good. I wasn't very good. So when I, <laughs> when I tried my eventing skills on a normal horse, I, I didn't like it so much. Obviously, to be a good eventy, you need a horse that can really jump, and I didn't know how to pick that at the time. So, 
Yeah. I, I guess the horse I had was just a very good dressage horse and and I just followed that path almost by accident, I think. Yeah, wow. So tell us about where you are today with your dressage. Uh, well, we've got our big farm out here at Ebenezer. So we've got 25 acres that my hubby and I bought, which almost killed us, taking on a massive mortgage. And we've built, well, you've seen it, we've built a lot of beautiful stables and a jumping in arena and a dressage arena. And we've just started putting in a big gallop track down the back. At the moment, oh, wow. it's a canter track, but uh, it will be it will be a gallop track once the surface is a little better. And we have a really good team of horses. We always own a couple of our own horses because I get extremely heartbroken when horses go home. Yeah. So it's easier to cope with if I have my own, and uh, then I'm in control of my own career. It's it's a very expensive way to do be a professional horse trainer to have some of your own horses. But for me, for my heart, I need to have have my own horse that I can see every day. And you know, yeah. if if anybody ever took Jackie Boy away from me, I, I just wouldn't ever be able to emotionally cope with that. So yeah, it's nice to have your own. Yeah, and be able to know where you're going and what you're doing, and you can make yeah. your own choices and everything. So yeah. So you run your farm with your husband, Greg. So tell me about how he's played in with your riding and your life with horses. Well, Greg was a camp drafter. And he's, so Greg's a very good rider too. And then he did pre-training for, I don't know how many years, maybe 10, I have to double check out, but it was a long time. Uh, and then we met at all the different horse shows. Um, and I think about, golly, must have been about 12, years ago Greg said he wanted to work for himself uh so he started taking in remedial horses uh, stallions that were had become aggressive in the breeding barn Greg is a, an amazing horseman I have I have so much respect for him once his breaking horses are backed a few times they usually would then come across to me and and I would finish them off before they'd go home to the owners um which uh, I'm not doing anymore I don't like to ride for more than six hours a day anymore. We used to ride for a minimum of 12 hours a day. Wow. Um, yeah. So now we have employed a couple of uh, good riders that ride the young horses or the remedial horse. Basically, Greg's team of horses then goes on to another rider rather than me now. So yeah. that's uh, taken some pressure off me. <laughs> that's fantastic. And now you can just focus on what you love and what, you know, yeah. your horses and your passions. So you take horses on for training for yourself or? to compete for other people or how does that part of your business work? Greg takes in horses that really interest him. So, it, well, he has, we both have a team of eight horses and one of the ones in his team had gotten a fright but it was a really special dressage horse and at one of its first shows got a fright and fell over backwards and chipped its pole oh, wow. and put his rider in hospital. But the owner is somebody I really respect and she she's one of the owners that just is in it for the long haul which I really like and we love that attitude about her because a lot of people you know send the horse and they say you know how long will it take before you can fix it you know and I say I don't know I don't know how long did it take till you broke it you know it just uh, it yeah. takes what it takes and it, it depends on how many how many years the horse has built up that aversion to whatever you know the remedial problem is and Greg's doing just the most beautiful job with this horse and he's becoming very calm and it's really, really nice to watch. So Greg takes in horses that interest him and he takes in owners that he wants to work with. So yeah. we interview our owners and clients before they come because I don't like working under the pressure of the financial side of it, meaning, well, you know, I've had it there for two weeks so it should be fixed by now. I don't mind pressure as, as in competition pressure and doing a good job. 
but I don't hurry our horses. So I only take in long-term horses. So horses that are sent to me are sent for a minimum of six months or they're sent to have a career with me. So I, d- I don't enjoy the short-term horses anymore. I've done that, done that my entire career and I, and I don't enjoy it. And, you know, my bionic knees don't, don't particularly like the feel of new horses anymore as it takes me about two weeks to get used to a horse now, just the way that they sit and to make sure that they're light enough that I don't have to get hauled around basically. So, yeah. Well, I can imagine 12 hours a day of riding is quite taxing on the body. So you've had your knees done, you've got bionic knees. So what was that like? How did you, how did that come about? How did you know you needed surgery? Well, I've been a professional rider since well a long time I started riding professionally probably when I was in year nine at school and and then when I left school I would work at a racehorse stable in the morning and then go across to my coach's stable muck out all her stables get a lesson in return then come home and do all my own horses that I had so I've been sitting on horses a long time which eventually bowed both my legs and then the impact of getting on and off that many horses um, and, and little things, you know, a, a horse to flip over here and a horse to drag you there. So I had just just torn, torn my legs apart, basically, learning to master my craft. Which yeah. And I needed all those different horses, all the remedial ones, the naughty ones, you know, I needed that so that I understand horses so fully. I don't regret any of it, but my surgeons were felt very challenged on how they were going to realign my legs and my knees, which they've done an amazing job. They said to me, Rochelle, you are very stoic, so we will do both your legs at once. And mm. I thought, yeah, I'm stoic. I can do that. But I did actually die twice because I, when I go to stand up, the pain was just incredible, and I just basically left the building and had to be revived again. Oh, wow. Because there were so many studs and plates, and it was very, very painful. But I did learn that you can do anything because once I overcame that, it was it was an incredible feeling. Even learning to lunge my horses on crutches. All my horses were scared to death of me when I was on the crutches for however long. <laughs> Great way to desensitize. <laughs> they weren't used to me being four-legged. So, but I'm glad I did it. I needed to do it and, and I'm in a lot less pain. But you know, you just you just learn to lean back into pain and let go a little bit. And and so it was a good experience to learn that, that I can do anything. And I don't think that it actually bothered any of the horses at all. They meaning they've all stayed on track with their training and where they were supposed to be. So how did, did you juggle that while you were out of work? How much time did you have off? And well, I was almost a month where I, I could hardly walk at all. So they would occasionally bring the horses up to my bedroom window because I was missing them so much. Yeah. Uh, but like even just to uh, walk to to go to the bathroom was insanely painful. And then after that, as soon as as soon as I could just hobble enough, um, I just my own horses are very in touch with me and in tune with me so I didn't feel unsafe with them and they just put them in a stable and give me some grooming tools and, or I'd just sit quietly with them and and as I got a little bit more mobile I groomed my horses every day and then as I got a little bit more mobile I gave them you know a little long rein or a lunge yeah and it, I don't I actually think it was a very bonding process for my horses and I and you know they they came out Jack went straight out he won his first Grand Prix Ren went back out at advance and her last test had been a medium. So I think the rest was actually quite good for them, which I would never have agreed before I actually had gave them the rest that it was yeah. going to be okay. But I, I think because we spent so much time bonding, I don't, I don't think the time off actually, I think it was good for them. Yeah. 
I can't imagine like going from being so involved and writing every single day. And how did you cope with sitting still? How did that mess with your mind? <laughs> That's a good question because, you know, you can, everybody goes through their dark place sometimes. And, and, and I think um, there's been many times that horses have actually saved me from that. And I, and I did go to a really yucky place where I just thought I'm in so much pain. You know, I miss my horses and, and it was it was overwhelming too because I'm not a person that can sit still very much. And then Greg, I had once had a trauma, a brain trauma many, many years ago and Greg was very concerned about me because I got very depressed. Yeah, like I couldn't read my watch. I didn't know what my name was. I had uh, trauma-induced epilepsy. So he'd been there with me before when I'd gotten there. Um, and so basically he lied to me. <laughs> well, I don't know if he lied to me, but he said your horse won't eat. You need to come and see him. He just won't. He won't oh. eat. So yeah, they came up and got me in the gator, and I ugh, hobbled out and went down to see him. And so uh, we'll have to check with Greg whether that was true or not. But basically, you know, I don't know what would have happened to me if 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 I hadn't had my horses to go to because it was a very very difficult time. But as soon as I knew that my horses were missing me and they needed me, yep, I'll be fine. Up I got. I love that. Oh. I'm gonna cry. Um, I it's love okay, that he cry. lied. I love that he lied for you. I, I, <laughs> whether he did or not, let's just say that he did because that's just the best. Ah, oh, beautiful. Sorry. Thinking back to my surgery recently, and just mine wasn't nearly as traumatic. It was, uh, you know, I was pretty mobile pretty but quickly, huge. but. Yeah. yeah, just standing in there grooming them. That's how I felt like I bounced back being with them. And yeah, I feel like that, especially with my young horse, mm. my old, older horse, I've always had a really special bond with, but the younger one, I feel like that was a real turning point for us and things now, like yeah. when the environment's scary, it's a bit less so now because he leans into me a bit more now. Yeah. You became his safe space and, and whether horses actually know or not that you're spending time with them, even though you don't need to, I, I feel like they know yeah. because whenever my horses have been injured, I've spent time with them. Whatever time I've normally allocated to train them, I keep that time aside in my diary and I'll green pick them or groom them or do something. But yeah, they for sure have saved my soul. Yeah. I can't believe you've been able to keep so positive since. So what's life like now with your bionic knees? How has that <laughs> changed compared to before it has changed things a lot probably telling you truth is always difficult but it, it social media makes everybody think oh you know her life is so wonderful and you know they're so wealthy and they're so perfect and so <laughs> I guess what I, I I'm just going to go ahead and be honest it it it's made me very vulnerable having my knees redone because in the past if we needed to earn more money we were able to take in more horses, um, which we're no longer able to do because if I ride for more than six hours a day, four hours is perfect, six hours I'm starting to hurt. Um, yeah. And because, I mean, you've seen all those pictures of riders when they're riding, your legs are like a spring and, and uh, when they start to become compromised, you know, your hamstrings and your adductors and hip flexors and, you know, they're just not going to be there as much for you uh, if they've been badly injured, which they have. So it, it did make me feel quite vulnerable and COVID coming and taking away, you know, we were doing clinics in South Australia and New Zealand, Gold Coast, Victoria, Tamworth. So it, it made it a little difficult and we did need to take in more horses. But it was just an amazing example of the universe taking care of us because I said to Greg, right, okay, 
let, taking some nice adjusters. It can be nice people. Let's, you know, have a few lessons and we're going to have to take six more horses in training. That's the only way we're going to manage, you know, with our financial commitments and whatever. And I put a little ad on Facebook and within two days the, the whole farm is full, every stable, every paddock. So it was very confronting to have so many horses again uh, because, yeah. I mean, you've seen me, I don't walk very far. I can ride but I don't walk very far on my legs. <laughs> so I've had to learn to rely on other people again, which um, is re- uh, really difficult for me. People can rely on me, yeah. but I don't like to rely on other people. It's a very humbling experience when you have to really put your commitments in someone else's hands and yeah. things like that. It's scary. It's scary. And you have to, especially with horses, I have to trust other people, which, you know, is is difficult because I like things done the way I like it, you know. I like every water scrubbed and I like that you should be able to eat your dinner off the floor and, and I don't have time to run around and check on everybody. So I make yeah. Andy do that for me instead. <laughs> so speaking of Andy, who is your beautiful daughter. Oh, we can talk about Andy all day long. Andy's 10. <laughs> Andy's 10 and she came into your life with a bit of a bang so Mm. how did that how did that all change your whole world tell us about that because I know we have so many people that are listening who have specifically asked how do you cope with horses after having a child because there's Mm. a few people that I you know I've reached out and said hey guys what do you want to hear about and they've said Riding after babies. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, has- it's a big topic. Well, I, I must admit, even though we waited for Andy for 17 years, I thought that when I had her, I would just hand her over to the nanny and say, hand her back when she's about eight years old and ready to ride. You know, or chuck her if he's get a hay. You know, shut that kid up. Um, <laughs> Build her a little playpen in the corner. She'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, give her a biscuit of hay. Shut her up. That's good. Uh, <laughs> then I had her and well, the feeling you're going to experience it too. It's just, it's overwhelming. It's incredible. You don't want to hand your baby over. You don't want somebody else to raise your baby. You want to protect them. You want to love them. So my plan that I would just hand her over to her ready and waiting nanny was uh, not going to work very well because I didn't want to hand her over to anybody. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And we we hadn't scheduled very much time off for me. So I, I really struggled in the beginning because I had to come back to work. Well, I didn't have to. I chose to. I had commitments that I chose to honour. And so I had to be extremely organised with my time so that I got to spend time with Andy. And we all laugh that you could hear the breast pump going, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, rah, 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 so that I made sure that she got, you know, the right nutrition. And if I could have my time again, I probably would have shut the stable quietly down for six months so that I could have been with her a little more. But as it was, what I did was I worked two days a week, 24 hours a day, so I worked straight through the night and did the staff rosters, the horses training programs, answered the emails, just so that I could schedule in time, you know, at morning tea to, to breastfeed her and play with her for a minute. So it, it did change my life really significantly and it changed my outlook too because up until that point, all I'd wanted was to ride horses and help people ride horses. And then when I had Andy, I thought, oh, uh, I've got private school fees. I've got, I need to, you know, go to the zoo. I'm going to have to go to mother's groups. It changed me that I became much more empathetic and much more sympathetic. And I wanted to be with other women, which I had always been a very insular person. And um, when I had a child, I needed to be with other women. I needed to have a tribe of women that I trusted. I needed to be in a community where I could say, is it really weird that 
I love my baby so much, but if she doesn't get off me, I'm going to freak out. <laughs> Kill everybody. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it was, it was very bonding because it, it helped me mature as a woman in a, in yeah. a big way. I, I, I wanted to be with other women. I wanted to be part of the sisterhood of women who help other women. Uh, but I had to be incredibly organized because we had a lot of horses in training and I really wanted to spend time with my baby, which I had not anticipated. I know it sounds stupid, but I really just thought I'd pop her out and give it to somebody and be able to carry on as before. But didn't think the, the, the bond pool, would be so big. No, I, I, not so much that I, I would actually pine for her while I was on a horse and, and I needed to be near her. So Greg built a little gazebo over the arena and the nannies had to mind Andy somewhere so I could see her at least. And, you know, <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> nannies were chosen on their ability to hold horses so that they could take the yep. horse and I could take Andy for a minute and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, hats off to mothers that still get back to riding because I honestly, I don't think I would have come back to riding if I hadn't done it professionally because I wanted to spend time with Andy so much that uh, the horses for me were at that time just something that I, I was doing because that was my career path. It really resonates with me when women say they don't have time to get back to their horses, uh, you know, and they're really struggling to get back to it because I can see that your whole time narrows, every, everything narrows when you have a baby. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know how women do it when they get back to it. Uh, how did you know, feel? How did you feel on a horse after having a baby? Did was everything different? Did everything feel different? Did, were you scared? Were you nervous? Or were you excited? What What was going through your mind? <laughs> okay, so well, we promise that this is a, a journey of honesty. It yep. hurt so much. I had tears running down my face. Oh no! It was a birth. Was and for most horse riders the birth is, is pretty gory because we've spent our whole life closing our pelvic floor and, you know, getting back on a horse was incredibly painful. So what do we need to know going in? Will something help us with that for one day when we're, you know, for those of us that are yet to experience it, what are you, any recommendations or top tips? Oh, oh, how to let go there? I think it's going to be different. Fair. Or is it like just schedule a C-section, do that, get it, you know? Um, <laughs> my professional horse riding friends, I said to them in, I had a natural birth and no drugs and all that sort of stuff because that's what we're told is the best thing. I think if you ride a lot, I personally would have preferred to have a Caesar and have a neat cut Yeah. Um, than for what happened. Uh, I think that, that I would have been a lot happier and I think Andy in the birth would have got a lot less distressed as well. And in the end they wanted to do a Caesar anyway. But, again, I'm very single-minded and I said we're doing a natural birth and I'm going to pop this baby out myself. <laughs> so, and you got it uh, done. Yeah, <laughs> we got it done. Uh, and I did, I had to, I had to get very fit very quick. So I designed a half-hour stretch and strength workout which I did put on YouTube, but we have to do that again. I'll do an updated one of it. But basically it focuses on the main muscle groups that the horses use and that the horses sort of pull apart um, and the, the main parts of my body that most horse riders find painful. Uh, so I got straight into working. I just hop out of bed, start stretching, and then just do the 10-minute strength workout so that I can get fit to ride again. Yeah. And what about the fear side of things? Like were you were you nervous getting back on a horse or because I guess it's so ingrained doing it professionally, you you know, you're on a horse 24-7. Did you feel that after? 
I know that I know you're asking that question because a lot of women do feel that. Um, and, and I've had to help a lot of women through that because what happens when you have a baby is your responsibilities are huge. Yeah. So you, if you take a risk and get on a horse, you, who's going to feed the baby? Who's going to pay the mortgage? Who's going to take the kids to school? You know, who will ever raise your baby as well as you will if you're stupid enough to get badly hurt? And and yeah. even when you're doing your will and that sort of stuff and you're thinking, okay, well, who will I give custody of to Andy if anything happens to me? Nobody's going to love your baby like you do. And I think that's essentially what occurs to women when they get on a horse because it's a dangerous sport. Yeah. Um, you're right. I didn't feel it. I was not afraid. Um, in fact, I was a little bit the other way. If horses were very threatening with me, uh, I was probably harder on them because I was like, I don't have time for this shit right now. <laughs> I'm going to go spend time with my baby now. Behave yourself. Um, <laughs> Let's get into it, get it done, and then I can go see my child. It's all I want. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. And there was this one day where he had um, a, a heap of horses had come from a really good start and they hadn't had time to handle them and they were four years old and they were all crazy and never been handled. And there's one in particular that was very, very naughty and she she remains naughty. There's very few naughty horses but she was one sassy girl and Greg was watching me flying around the arena one-handed and I gave her a big smack and pulled her around and he said, <laughs> We laughed when I came up to the stable. He said, I thought you were supposed to lose your confidence when you had a baby, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you were the but, one in a million. But so, you know, with your yeah. coaching, you've just, you teach so, so many students. So I'm guessing, yeah, you see that all the time. And do. what do you find is the best way to help people through that? Because I know a lot of people that would listen to this would think, okay, it's all great. You know, you are really confident, but how do I get my confidence back? Like what do you tell them? How do you help them through? Well, I think one of the most important things to understand about it is is where it originates from. And it's a little bit different from everybody, but mostly it's fear of your safety because you have responsibilities of of many, many new kinds once you have a baby. And I, I find it's really helpful with this situation is to calculate your risk. So if, if you have a young horse or a difficult horse, don't get on it, you know, yeah. lunge it, send it away, have it sold, buy yourself a quiet horse. So even though I'd said, you know, I wasn't so worried, I did calculate risks and I still calculate risks a lot differently now I have Andy. So horses that before I would have been happy to be involved in fixing, now I, I won't ride those style of horses. Um, I'm, I'm happy to ride horses that have, you know, might jump up in the air in the middle of a canter pirouette or, you know, that's normal sort of stuff like that. Um, but I won't ride the horses that throw themselves on the ground anymore because that's I've calculated that risk and it's not worth taking yeah. and, and risking my bond with Andy for. The next thing about fear, which is really, really important, is, is to rationalise it, meaning has this horse hurt me before? Has this horse ever bucked hard enough to get me off before, you know, or spooked hard enough? So go go through and rationalise why you feel scared and is it a reasonable fear? And, and if it is a reasonable fear, then I would say contact a professional and say, this is what my horse is doing. I don't feel capable of dealing with it. Could you take a look? Could you help me with it? So I'm not, I don't believe in, you know, overcoming fear with I, like I saw a program once and she said, you know, with neuro-linguistic programming, we can teach you to not be afraid of your horse. You'll be sitting on your couch at home and we can help you from there. And it, and it actually really pissed me off because I thought, well, how 
how can you remove somebody's fear when you don't know why they're afraid in the first place? And it, sometimes you should be afraid. Sometimes that horse is too much for you or too big for you or the environment that it's in isn't safe for you. So I think you need to turn and look at your fear and, and ask whether or not it's a reasonable fear. And if it is, you know, that doesn't mean you can't ride anymore. Maybe it means maybe get a pony, you know, a nice 14 three-hand dressage pony you know you don't maybe you don't want the big thoroughbred off the track that's not uh what's the word that not at the right place in the right time in your life <laughs> yeah yeah that he those irrational style of horses are probably not great horses for new mums yeah i think that's so wise i'm at the stage where we're starting to think potentially one day mm. that'll be us soon and i think about that I all the time well, we're, you know, it's something definitely to start thinking about. Your body starts to go, oh, how long have you got left? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like thinking about it for myself, like I've recently ridden a horse that gave me a bit of fear and I tried to persevere because I was like, no, I'm I'm going to push through this and I'm going to do this. And I was really lucky that one of my friends said, Brianna, if you feel this fear from the start, you know, you're on the back foot already every ride. So she goes, maybe it's just not worth it. And then the day that I stopped riding that horse, I felt the weight of the world come off my shoulders. And I think I felt guilty for a bit, but then I went, no, I don't have to be every horse's best rider. I can, it can get along with someone else way better. (laughs) Absolutely. So, and and you have to, I think, stick to that because nobody has anything to prove to anybody. If there's horses that just give you the heebie-jeebies for whatever reason, then you, you don't have to be a cowboy. If you don't like riding that horse, it's supposed to be a sport. You're supposed to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're a little different. So if we buy a, a very talented young horse and we've fallen in love with it, then we have we we say we're we're in it and we yeah. stay with it until that horse achieves the happiness and and the top of the sport where we where we hope that he he was going to go. But it doesn't have to be that way for everybody. Yeah, that's more. You know, for us, we buy a foal and and the journey is never perfect. And there are some, you know, some moments that we could laugh about with all of my horses that have been very wild. But the power of saying to yourself, I am sticking with this, I am doing this, is it? it's very hard to stop somebody who's 100% committed. So, yeah. but that's not to say that I haven't opted out of horses myself and yeah. said this horse has not got the temperament to do this job. He would be better as a... Uh, a show jumper, yep. you know, with a kid like I was that likes to gallop everywhere with our bridles. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a horse for every purpose and things like that. So you, with your students, you give so much of yourself to your students. I mean, you have clinics all over the place, all around Australia. You want your students to reach obviously the highest levels and things. What sort of things do you do to help keep people's motivation up. I mean, sometimes you see a lot of riders who constantly put up things like, oh, you know, I haven't ridden in a while and I feel really guilty and things like that. But what do you say to your riders when you know, especially, you know, during worldwide pandemics and things like motivation can be very low, you know, how how do you keep people going? Well, I love, I love that saying that, you know, if you shine a light on someone 
then they shine a light on someone else and and that's the change that I want to see in the world so if I can if I can make somebody feel better and good about their riding and help them to understand their horse and for their horse to understand them that is my entire passion in life I want to make the world a better place for horses and I want to make it a better place for the people who love them you know I've spent my whole life studying you know living breathing not eating horses thank god <laughs> <laughs> You know, eating up the knowledge about horses. So our, to inspire my students is really important to me. Yes, it has been harder in the pandemic because as much as I don't think you do either, I don't compete because that's the top of my sport and that's what I love doing. I, I compete to keep myself honest because then I can say, okay, well, yeah, I can now make a canter pirouette of six strides, you know, at exactly L, go forward, make a flying change and make another pirouette of six to eight strides, you know. At, uh, so competing for me is about checking if my motives are pure, that my horses are 100% on the aids. But when there's no competitions, you sort of go, what if we just all went galloping today? Or <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it's like, oh, we so, don't have a health check coming up, so let's just, you know, go yeah. a little bit off the rails. Yeah, it, so we've definitely all, all my students and myself have had an extra two days a week of not training and taking the horses out and playing and having a bit more fun because, you know, why not? But to keep everybody inspired, we all goal set. So we did short-term goals, mid-term goals, long-term goals, and then we have regular Zoom sessions and some of us have been able to keep having lessons and we've been doing the online lessons. So I think the biggest thing with goal setting is that when you set your goals, if you don't feel completely lit up and like, oh, I'm excited about it, then that's probably not a true goal. It's probably not authentically what you actually want. So finding some quiet time and really thinking about what are your goals and what do you want to do to achieve them, I think is really important for our students to get them achieving we, the first thing we teach them is that they're going to have to work really, really hard. If they're going to train with us, they have to work really hard. They have to put their horses first. We, we won't work with anybody who doesn't put their horses first and take good care of their horses. Yeah. And, and to accept that training a top horse is all about progress. It takes years and years and years. And some days you just have to say, well, you know, I'm actually really thrilled that you went from trot to canter without bucking me off today, buddy. You know, you're... <laughs> You might not get that perfect transition, but the horse took a step in the right direction. So yeah. I think, you know, goal setting and being aware that progress, a little bit of progress is really good. Yeah. I feel like it's a good goal way to setting, stay motivated. Yeah. I feel like with goal setting, I think so many people are so scared to actually set big goals. They always think, oh, I have to make them realistic. And, you know, in their own mind right now, realistic might be, oh, I'll get around a prelim test. Okay. Whereas it doesn't light them up. So their motivation towards that goal might be tiny. So setting bigger goals, I think is so, so important. Do you have any big goals that you would like to share with us? Because I would love to know what is coming, what we can expect to see from you. Well, I do have really big goals. I, I have a couple of really nice horses at the moment and I would like to take them and uh, base them in the UK and compete over there a little bit. That's that's probably my biggest goal. I would, wow. I would really love to do that. I've always wanted to and I would love to. So we'll look at doing that when Jackie Boy retires. My daughter Andy will take over riding him and then well, I'm hoping that we take Florencia over there. So, yeah, that's that's my really big goal. I would really enjoy doing that. How do you – Um, sorry, I hope you don't mind me asking, but how do you 
plan that with a family and your life at home currently, you know, because I think so many people would just love to do that. But I think a lot of people think, oh, if I if I don't do it when I'm, you know, 18, 19 and go work for someone, that's yeah, not an option. Yeah. Like, how do you make mm. it come full circle and then get that dream to happen? <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to try. But I think I said at the beginning, I am very single-minded and I am prepared to work really, really hard. So in, in order to make something like that happen, um, I would just have to work very hard in the first six months of the year, which we, we would just do more clinics in the beginning of the year and that sort of stuff. And the plans that are in place are basically just to keep pushing forward and it'll happen. It'll yeah. happen. Yeah. So another thing with setting massive goals is so many people, you know, don't set them because they're too scared that they're going to fail at it. So what do you say to that? You know, like you just said, oh, it might not happen, but it's my goal. I want it to happen. How will you cope if it doesn't happen? Uh, <laughs> well, I just think that when you have a purpose and you're driven toward that purpose, it's very, very likely that it will happen. Yeah. And you know that saying, if you reach for the stars, you're not going to come up with a handful of mud. So having that purpose to to do that with my horses if that happens, it'll be just wonderful. And if the universe says, no, we're going to go this way, you know, if there's setbacks and I'm a student of radical acceptance. So when Love something it. doesn't, doesn't work, I say, well, then it doesn't work. It wasn't meant for me. And then I go in the new direction. So I don't see any point in, in freaking out about whether it will or won't work. It's what I would really like to happen. And if it does, wouldn't that be fantastic? Yeah. And if it doesn't, then I assume something else really fantastic will happen. I love that attitude. That is the best. Honestly, it has been so amazing chatting with you today. You're just, I love how much you give to other people. So just before we go though, can we do a bit of a quick fire Q&A? So don't need massive log answers. Just are you ready? We'll get into it. All right, let's go. Yep. All right. So what's your one go-to exercise with your horses that you'll always go back to? Transitions. Yep. All right. Beautiful. Um, what is your favorite hobby outside of horses? Uh, horses <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing outside of horses or Andy? Oh, no, I love gardening oh, I, do, I, love I love gardening that. I love that okay what is the one thing you can't live without courage love it what is your favorite riding memory or achievement oh when Andy was so scared at a show and it was I think her third little show and she had big tears in her eyes and she really wanted to do it and she trotted away from me and she did this gorgeous little test and like he wasn't her pony wasn't a bit or anything and I thought it was just a mummy moment for me where I thought my daughter's brave oh yeah I love that that was my that was my biggest achievement to teach Andy to have courage I love that well you're a very good role model for it so it doesn't surprise me that it's shining through <laughs> with her Come um, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could go back and give your younger self a piece of advice what would that be oh Gosh, I think it would be that horses are never naughty and if they're doing something wrong, look harder. What, what, what are you missing? What, what are they not understanding? What are you not understanding? Because I know I spent a lot of my young life, you know, sort of standing back and going, what's going on here? Like I just couldn't, couldn't figure it out. So if I had known that horses at 99% of the time are not naughty, that they're incredibly generous and they're very noble and willing, I think it would have changed me as a trainer a lot earlier. It would have made me look harder at what the problem actually was rather than you're being naughty. Yeah. So if I can ask anyone that you know to come on as a guest next, who would it be? Uh, I love Eckhart Tolle. 
I love his books and I would love, yeah, if I got to talk to him in person, it would be amazing. Okay. All right. Now where online can we find you? Uh, Messenger, messages, WhatsApp, TikTok, Facebook. (laughs) So what's your, what's your handle on TikTok and Instagram? They're always Rochelle King Andrews. Perfect. Awesome. Um, And are there any sponsors that you'd like to mention? Well, you said you wanted to be quick, so. (laughs) You have quite Uh, a few. (laughs) My principal sponsors are Brighton's who who look after me with my Prestige saddles and my Kip helmets and Zilco with the Roclay gloves and, of course, Lita Equine that look after me with TRM products and the PS of Sweden, which I know that you will love. Oh, I don't know. I think a lot of people might know that I have a bit of a problem with my saddle pad addiction. So, yes, one day, Piers of Sweden, if you're listening, come on. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, we've got Tough Rock has been with us since the beginning. They've been amazing and healed my horse so many times and Pride's Feeds. So, yeah, yeah my sponsor list is quite extensive, but they're my principal sponsors and they've looked after me for a very long time. That's awesome. Um, So is there anything else that you would like to add to today that we haven't gone through yet or anything you want to say to people if they're on the journey? Oh, gosh. Well, I just think just be kind because kindness matters and spread love everywhere. Wherever you have a chance to be kind and to be loving, do it. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so grateful. I hope everybody You're so welcome. Know, got so much out of it. So thank you so much. You're so I welcome. That, I know that you're idea. always so busy. <laughs> yes, I am. So busy. <laughs> but but I, I love what you're doing. I even love what you've called it, approachable equestrian. And I love it that people can come to you and say, look, I'm having problems. Where do I go? And if we can build a community like that where we, there's a safe space for people to learn and ask questions, yeah. I, I think it will be you know, a, a much better world for, for horses and, and for us. Have you found our online community on Facebook yet? If you want to be part of a supportive community of like-minded people, jump over to Facebook and type in the search bar for the group called Approachable Equestrians and join our free community today. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by Hara Equine. Hara Equine is an equestrian events business who provides regular clinics and training days around the Sydney area. If you're looking for events to go to, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Their handle is at Hara Equine, which is spelt H-A-R-A Equine, or their website www.haraequine.com. Thank you so much for listening in today, guys. It was honestly a privilege to have you here. If you loved anything that you heard and got something out of it, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Also, if you could, we would be so grateful if you could leave a a rating and a review um, just so people can find us more organically and we can reach more people like you who want to work on their mindset, hear awesome stories to keep themselves inspired and also work on their motivation. So thanks heaps, guys. Have the greatest day. I'll see you all again soon.